Hey, I'm Ryan, and welcome to another episode of the Playing High Stakes Poker Podcast. Everything you've always wanted to know about playing from mid to the highest stakes. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Rags. We dress poker players. Poker Rags sells comfortable clothing that's smart, funny, cool, and good for the game. Go to pokerrags.us. Today in the show, we have Julia from Palmdale. You've probably seen her on the Hustler Casino live stream. Enjoy my conversation with Julia. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan, so much for having me. It's great having you here. I've been watching you play on stream for... I'm trying to remember. Hustler's only about a year old now. I, th- I was going to say a couple years now. <laughs> it seems like much longer, but I've been watching you at least for months, along with the with the other uh, crew from Palmdale and all the interesting characters on there. And it was fun actually playing with you in person recently in a five five ten game on the floor. I didn't get to make it to the big Hustler meetup game, unfortunately, but. It's been fun playing with some people on the show in the 5-5-10 game that Billy Degaff runs. Um, so it's great to have you here. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I want to make it to Hustler and play on the floor more often. It's so nice. You know, the pressure's off and, and it's just fun. Just nice people and good stakes. I mean, I don't know where else you can find 5-5-10 with, you know, fun players Unless you want to like cram yourself into commerce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really fun game. And sometimes the straddle will go on and sometimes they'll do bomb pots with the dealer change, double board PLO. And it, everyone is always really fun to play with in that game. So it's a lot of fun. Let's start and back up as far as when you got into poker and how you got into playing. Yeah, <clears throat> I think I uh, started playing poker when I was uh, married. See, I've been divorced about 15 years, I guess. So when I was married, we used to go to this tennis club and um, they had like a monthly tournament. It was self-deal and, you know, those plastic chips. I mean, it was just the basic stuff, but I really fell in love with it. And then as soon as I was getting divorced, I just really started um, playing a lot. And you would venture out to commerce, the bike, or where where did you play at? Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, or what where there was poker and what it was like. So I played wherever I could. So I, I think I got a referral from somebody at that um, that tennis club tournament for a home game, and I went to that. And I think we we're playing two dollar, four dollar blinds in somebody's house. And it was just so fun. Um, and, you know, and then went from there, other home games. And then one time I just went to commerce. Um, I didn't even know. I just went on my own and I didn't know that there was such a thing as limit hold'em. So I just signed up for what I thought was, you know, reasonable stakes and sat down at a game and I, I, it was a limit game. And I didn't even know that for like hours. I just thought that everybody had a set, bet and and they just kind of really wanted you to do that size <laughs> and, and so That's i played funny. that for hours <laughs> and and these days you play pretty much no limits 
Yeah, I like No Limit Hold'em, and I like um, I like some of the four and five card games, Omaha, um, High, High, Low. Um, I like to play Dramaha now. That was referred uh, to to uh, the people by um, Norm Chad. Yeah, he was commenting on on a Hustler stream, so he just described Dramaha, and we all in in our Palmdale game, we thought, oh, we've got to try that, and we've loved it, and also. Oma Jack, which is kind of a crazy split pot game that's half Omaha and half um, sort of a blackjack hand. And he, Norman Chad is the one who um, described that on a stream too. So most of my degeneracy has come from listening to um, commentators on the Hustler stream. Okay, interesting. So you do play a lot of different variants. That's a lot of fun to mix it up instead of just playing hold them all the time. When did your home, the home games around Palmdale start and when did you start meeting some of those people? Because a lot of people listening have will have seen them playing on the Hustler stream for a while now. Yeah, most of the other guys have played longer on the stream than I have. Um, and I think I met them and started playing in Palmdale. It's probably been about, probably been about four or five years now. Actually longer, at least five years. Um, there was a once a week Thursday night, or actually at the time it was Monday night, five, five, 10 game. And, um, it was just such a fun group. I just started, you know, playing it as much as I could. And then mm -hmm. that kind of expanded. And now we have, we have like four games a week in Palmdale that are possible anyway. Wow. And these are all cash games, not tournaments style. Yeah. Cash games. Interesting. And so let's talk a little bit about playing on stream and what that's been like for you. So like the first time you were asked to go on stream, what were you thinking about? Were you, were you really excited or were you apprehensive? That's a great question. The first time was um, live at the bike. And I think it was with a, another group, another home game group that um, uh, one of the guys liked to play on on live at the bike and he said let's just get our whole group on there and so I think that was the first time I played there um, so it was kind of like a, a home game as a Santa Clarita home game um, just with the you know streaming and uh, it was fun it was I I, I don't think I um, I don't get too nervous about being on stream maybe I, I should probably take it more seriously um, in my work, I'm, I'm a lawyer and I've, um, I do like estate planning and, um, and used to do some tax stuff. And so I would give seminars and talk to groups a lot. So I, I've never been too nervous about being in front of people. Um, I do get a little nervous about making the wrong decision and having, you know, everybody laugh at me, <laughs> but I just kind of ignore it. I think I think most people are like that. Sometimes people will talk about playing a little bit tighter on stream or making certain plays on stream, even though you're supposed to give action and kind of do the opposite. And then when the stream ends, sometimes they'll be playing after, and then that's when things really change and, and you'll see chips flying and and people really loosening up just because they were a little bit scared of looking silly on stream or making the, a, a bad player, the wrong play type of thing. Yeah. Well, I know um, my Palmdale people, we all have 
a very similar experience where if we do well on the stream, if we stay after, we lose it all, like immediately. <laughs> yeah. So the best thing for us would be to just quit when the stream is over. But we're, you know, none, none of us are are equipped that way. Ooh, it's this is a risk taking place, Ryan. We we don't we don't quit just because we're pretty sure we're going to lose everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. And when you started playing on Hustler, were though were you dialing up the stakes at that point, or were you comfortable playing those stakes during during the home games? You know, the only time I've played higher than 510 is like at the end of the night when it's shorthanded and somebody wants to make it 2550 and the stacks are really deep. And so I've only done that for, you know, before the stream, I only did that for a few hours and always exhausted, you know, <laughs> and, and just not making good decisions. So, yeah, playing on the Hustler stream was much higher stakes than I'm used to. That was 10, uh, 10 20, 40 or something like that. Yeah, oh, Monday, 10, 20, 40, and then Tuesdays, well, it's that anti-game now, so it's like, it's it's still, you know, it's it's several hundred just to see a flop. Yeah, and sometimes the games can be pretty deep, too, compared to on the casino floor when there's caps in place. The 5-5-10 game that runs on the floor that we were talking about typically has a $1,500 cap. Um, and on stream, people can really buy in pretty deep. How does that affect your play? And how do you think about the strategy when someone is buying, I don't know, whatever it is, what some someone might have like 50k or something in that in that game sometimes in the 10, 20, 40, right? And and then the the min buy-in is whatever it is, 4k or 5k. Yeah, and on Tuesdays it's it's a min buy is 10k. So yeah. yeah, that's, that's, um, I mean, I guess I would say I have dual um, responses to that, like com conflicting responses to that. Cause number one, um, I'm used to playing very deep stacked in, in our games. So in terms of, you know, how many blinds we have and, or what the SPR is, I, I am very comfortable with, with very deep stacks behind, but um, I'm not that comfortable with, you know, 25K in my stack. And, you know, I, I do make different decisions when I'm faced with just a $900 open instead of like a $200 open or maybe even 3000 to see a flop with a good hand. Like I, I think I, um, I think I, my risk tolerance gets lower in that situation and, and I try to play it safer. Yeah, that makes sense. You haven't played for a little while on stream, is that right? Do you have any plans to play again? Or what are your goals for for playing on stream at this point versus just do playing in the home games that you do? You know, I really love the stream. I love that um, it's a high stakes game with low rake. That's one thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the, the people and... Um, and that it's fun. So like if, if I were to play a, a game of similar stakes and buy-ins that's not streamed, I think it would be a lot tougher than, you know, and, and less fun than what we have on stream. So my, yeah, my goal would be, I, I really do want to get back there and, and be a regular um, on, on some night and just, um, 
yeah, just kind of to get into the groove of it again. I've been working a lot lately and, you know, it's, it's up and down. You have to have, I mean, Monday night would be my preference by far, but I, you know, you have to have a following and stuff, which I don't have. And, and so I don't know if I could put in all the work to become like a streaming personality that would, that would make it so that I could play regularly on Mondays. Yeah, Max Payne Monday is a sought-after seat, probably one of the most sought-after of the week. It's a really fun game to watch. Like you said, you it's a game where you have to bring something to the table, but you're you're doing the podcast, you're on Twitter. People know you from, from playing on Hustler before, so you're well on your way to at least uh, getting a seat once in a while, I think. Um, you mentioned when you first started out playing tournaments, uh well pl- sorry just playing in the in the tournament that you did and then kind of venturing out from there do you play tournaments now or do you focus on cash games or what's your what are your goals right now between the two well my goals just always change that they just keep going back and forth like i'll just i'll play some tournaments and then you know and have some success and then i'm like okay i'm just gonna play tournaments this is so great it's just that yeah that, <laughs> It, it, that arc of the of the of the tournament is so exciting so much adrenaline you know you're you're at the beginning stages and you know you have to whatever try to run it up and then you get to to all these things like pay jumps and um and the money bubble where you have to do things differently so exciting you know and you play you play so much more aggressively in a tournament like when you're short especially right and then yeah. So that's all exciting. And then I'll love that for a while. And then, I mean, I'm just, I just over time have just lost so much in tournaments, you know? So after like 20, not cashy, then I'll just say, I'm never going to play another tournament again. I'm just going to play cash. You know, I can have my own hours and, and not have all this heartache. Tournaments are heartache. So right now it's been a while. I go back and forth, but it's been a, a while that I've just been doing um doing cash i like deep stack cash a lot um rather than trying to figure out stuff like a different you know different blind levels and numbers of blinds i like just basically sitting there and and playing the player you know that's what you do i think with deep stack yeah definitely yeah what you said makes a lot of sense as far as the the tournament the style of play versus both and i think some players are trying to choose what they want to do and some kind of go back and forth but a lot of people i find they settle into kind of one style and then uh, or one choice between tournaments and cash and kind of focus on that especially uh if you're playing regularly Cash is a great option. Like you said, you can pick your hours and it's more flexible, but you can also jump into a tournament every once in a while. As you mentioned, once you go, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 tournaments without cashing, it can be pretty (laughs) depressing. But then on that 21st, you could, you know, hit it big and make all your money back plus a huge amount, right? So I guess that's where... Right, and for that tiny investment, relatively speaking, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a huge upside. So, um, how do you feel about training sites and studying without giving too much insight away as far as what you personally do or you can if you want? But how do you feel about just studying and trying to get better at the game, or is it something you you, you don't really care too much about? 
as far as like I, just obviously you care about playing well and winning money but as far as like studying the solvers and the training sites and those type of things well i'm kind of a study junkie i'm i'm a um a perpetual student is the way i look at it so i've 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 read a lot of poker books and um you know, when I first started playing, I would read Card Player Magazine and um, everything that Ed Miller wrote in those, all of his articles. And I just loved that stuff. So um, I've always, I've always um, studied and tried to get better. The thing is, you know, the, the, the conflict between, oh, should you play GTO or should you play exploitative? Um, in in our games and when I, in Palmdale and you know at the casino, um, it's like it would be stupid to try to play GTO, you know. So I feel like that would be a waste of my time to study, even though I know the argument for like you know you, you learn it and then you know how to deviate from it when other people are deviating. But um, I don't get that. Like I don't I don't think I can do it that well. So my ideal would be to basically, you know, be able to watch people enough and to pick up on stuff enough to know, just like to, to be a field player. I, I really think that's what you need in, in, in our like wild games. You need to be a field player. You need to just know by looking at them, whether they're, they're bluffing or not. You know, that's, so that's kind of what I concentrate more on, even though, you know, it's not very theoretical. Yeah. And I think nowadays, especially with all the streams and the vlogs out there, there's a lot of great ways people can learn just by watching watching so many hands. I heard one of the commentators was talking about this. I think it was Bart Hansen just talking about how he's just gotten so much better because he can see you know, so many hands in the time that he's commentating. Um, and it's one of those things where you're actually watching all the, the hands instead of playing in a game where you don't see all the cards. I guess it's obvious. And this this has been talked about since the, the little cameras came in with whole, whole cards a long time ago. But I think that there's it brings a new dimension to help people learn, uh, even though it's it's maybe they're not learning, like you said, the GTO or kind of playing everything by the book. But you can really pick up a lot by seeing, watching people's facial expressions and just how they react and all those different type of things to help you become a better field player by watching streams, I believe. Some people would disagree, but what do you think? Well, I I mean, yeah, theoretically, yes. Like I watch a lot of the stream. I watch, you know, most nights I watch the Hustler stream. Mm -hmm. um, and then my thought at the, um, as you know, in the months leading up to now has been, oh, you know, the more hands I watch, the more I'll know about players. And then when I look back, it's like, I don't really know. I still don't know anything <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. because, because nobody's playing optimally, you know, and nobody is even playing mm -hmm. consistently. It's like you think, you think like, for example, like uh, Nick Airball, you know, when he makes it 5X on the river, you know, do you think that's mostly value? And yet, he does it he does it pretty balanced it seems like he's like also yeah, got nothing a lot true. you know yeah so, yeah and, that, uh, and that's what makes him a dangerous player i guess i guess that's where the lesson comes in is is just becoming balanced and not trying to vary your play 
instead of instead of trying to stick to one specific style. Sometimes people will say, I want to play a lag or I want to play tag or I'm this type of player, but the best players will obviously adjust their game to the table and have a balanced range to where it's just really tough to put them on a hand any given time. Part of the difficult part of doing that, though, is being able to run a big bluff um, or a three bet with like maybe not a seven deuce, but you know what I mean, off suit type of thing, <laughs> a jack nine suited or whatever the case is that have that range wide enough to where they're not just going to fold to you because you, you're three betting with ace king all the time or aces king type of thing. Oh, yeah, I know. And that that specifically is hard for me. Three betting like something like jack nine suited preflop or Actually, yeah, sometimes it can it. feel like you're torching torching yeah. money, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, in my games, nobody's folding. If they've already raised, you know, or even if they've limped, but especially if they've already raised, they're never folding no matter what I make it, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it's like I better be doing it with the hand that I plan to play like because I'm very rarely taking it down by doing that. So, um, so I get really, especially, you know, on the stream with the bigger stakes, I get really nervous like, let's say I'm going to, you know, three bet, you know, eight, eight, six suited, which I love to do. I'll do that in my home game all the time. But but to a three bet on the stream is like, you know, could be 3000. <laughs> and then what? Because I know they're calling and they've got me like completely dominated when they do. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard. It's hard to pull the trigger. It's really hard for me to pull the trigger with higher stakes. But that's also part partly just bankroll management. You know, I just need to, um, I really need to be having a more, a bigger dedicated bankroll and then I'm not going to be as, as scared money as I sometimes am. Yeah. How do you feel about bankroll management and do you keep your poker bankroll separate from your, all your life expenses and are you, uh, kind of adamant and detailed about tracking your wins and losses and everything, or how do you kind of look at all of that? Um, I am extremely undisciplined in every way. And that also carries over to um, poker bankroll. So I do try to keep my bankroll separate, um, but things go back and forth all the time. You know, sometimes I just need some cash or whatever. And, and so I'm not rigid about it because I don't have, I just really don't have a, um, a lot of self-discipline, especially with regard to money. Um, so um, ideally, uh, like like uh, I started tracking, you know, wins and losses on an app a lot, some years ago, but I kept losing and it was very uh, demoralizing. So I stopped doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so um so well, they say you need about a thousand hours to kind of really see a sample size which is a lot of hours to, to play yeah well you know I, I you know over time whether you're you know doing okay at poker or not because you mm -hmm. either have money or you don't that, that's kind of how i manage it it's 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 not not conducive to um, my goals, you know, my goals being, I, I, I want to play a lot. I want to play higher stakes. And um, in order to accomplish that, I need to be more careful with bankroll management. 
Um, and, and that's not happening. So I just, I mean, really the way that I want to do it is just make a lot of money at poker and then I never have to worry about it. That that's, that's going to have to be the plan. Cause that's the only one that I'm going to be able to stick to. <laughs> well, that's a good plan. I got to yeah. not run bad. Yeah, well, we were we were talking about you not running well on stream a handful of times that you did play. I do I do remember that. Um, it, so I mean, that's just one of those things where it's it's really frustrating when you're running into it all the time, and you know you you have a big hand, they have something bigger. You it's you you always have the second best hand, so it can be really frustrating. But as you said, if you put in enough time over over time and over the long term. You know, if you're a good player, you're going to be able to uh, show your post wins and, and show your wins. So let's transition yeah. into, let's see, I wanted to cover a little bit about what's happening in poker right now. We have the, we talked about the streams, the vlogs. I feel like everyone's been saying how it's been a resurgence. We had the money maker boom, obviously, many years ago. And Poker's been steadily kind of, you know, doing well ever since then. I, we had after the boom, obviously things cooled down, but I feel like a lot of players who entered in with that boom stuck with it. A lot of people did leave the game, but you, it, it, it definitely had that huge boom. And then now with the streaming, as you mentioned, Live at the Bike got going and now Hustler and Lodge. We're really in this new era of bringing a lot of newer, younger people into the game. What do you think about just what's happening right now with the feuds going on and the heads up challenges? And and then we have these uh, Twitter, uh, uh, I forget what they call them. It's kind of like a podcast, but what do you think oh, about yeah, all of these things Twitter happening? Space. Twitter spaces, yeah. Well, yeah. So, well, starting with um, the resurgence of poker, it's yeah, it seems so clear when you look at the stakes that they used to play on live at the bike. And that was like, not even every night, right? That like it was a couple of times a week, maybe. And the stakes were so small compared to, I mean, Hustler, it, it seems to me that, that the Hustler stream and, and probably just Ryan Feldman almost single-handedly like made this entire boom happen. I look at the difference in the stakes and it's every night and it's gamblers, new gamblers all the time. I mean, it's been so crazy to watch and um, very exciting because, because it was like, you know, when the solvers came out, um, I, get, I think everybody was saying, ah, poker's going to die because it's basically just going to be, you know, who plays, who plays closer to optimal. Right. And who wants to, who wants to do that? You know, who wants to, to, like your whole approach to it to be how how disciplined can I be? That's the last thing we need <laughs> for poker, and that's the last thing that's happened. Like it's 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 total undisciplined now. I mean, even Nick Bertucci used to be the biggest knit on live at the bike, and he is extremely nitty now. I'm not saying he's not, but he has he's opened it up so much, and he's kind of like a an example of of how poker's opened up. It seems like. But yeah, um, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and so we see all these these like every Friday night, huge stakes every Friday, and then even the weekday um, streams are are huge. Even the smallest one on Monday, that's huge, and and everybody's having fun and and joking like it should be. That's what's that's what's great is people should be should should be like 
there to to gamble and and have fun and then and then yeah so i think i really do think the the hustler stream is the catalyst like like the money maker boom it's now the 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 hustler stream boom and then now the lodge um is is adding to it and um all the all the blogs and podcasts i i don't I don't watch or listen to all that many podcasts. Well, I do actually listen to um, Thinking Poker podcast, Andrew Brokus and Carlos Welch. That's, I love that podcast. But it's much more serious, you know, um, like the, the, the Matt Berkey one, the Only Friends one. It's like there's so much more than poker being discussed. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, I like some of it like with all of it we all like some of it right and then um i've i have actually tried to tune into those twitter spaces things yes. that are that are new and and interesting i can't really deal with that too much because everybody <laughs> is talk like everybody can talk or at least like five people can talk and then i don't know i think you really need a format you need a structure instead of just having everybody just say what they want and sort of stream of consciousness on it <laughs> yeah because you know it's kind of... like i'm only interested in maybe one person's point of view i only like think that that's interesting and then i have to listen to five people before i hear, hear that one yeah i actually kind of feel the same way i think veronica brill does a great job and in, in the spaces that she runs usually they're not recorded either so you have to tune in live and like you said you you kind of flip it on and you you want to hear maybe one or two people and you have to kind of sit through all these people talking and you really have to kind of look uh, closely to see who's speaking at the time. The little thing kind of lights up under their name type of thing. Mm -hmm, so yeah. you're kind of, it's kind of small like, too. So right. and, and it's only, it's kind truncated, of right? So you can see yeah. like three letters. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of squinting and you're trying to read the name. And it, I feel like Twitter could put more money into that platform and, or that specific product and make it better, which they probably will. Who knows what's happening with Twitter, with Elon Musk and everything. But I think Veronica does a great job. I really like her work, obviously, and what she's done and, and going on with Nick on, on the Nick's pod and everything. But yeah, they, they, those are a little bit haphazard. Um, what do you think just about some of the drama going on in poker with the heads up challenges? obviously Nick and Matt and Doug trying to get into the mix. And I feel like that's kind of what they talk about on this spaces and, and some of the other yeah. shows out there. It's the drama that's happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big, it's funny. I'm very torn because I'm a big Matt Berkey fan. Um, I've, mm. I've followed his career and I've, I've always thought that he was just a great personality and a great um example and and I, i've always just really liked except for like you know those podcasts where they just chit chat you know everything else i i've always really loved what he does um and i and, and i love well i love the energy um of the of nick and the whole stream um you know nick gets uh out of line a lot um i don't know if you watched the poker go yesterday yes so i mean that was like that was an so nick basically getting drunk and belligerent which is not the first time but it's not it's not like it happens every time i mean he's, he's on stream 
a lot. And a lot of times he's just plain entertaining, you know, and every once in a while he, he's just belligerent. And so it was unfortunate that that happened um, at, on yesterday's stream because, um, you know, it's, I, I like the energy and I like the, the, like, I, I mean, in a way it's more like a big testosterone, you know, contest, but which is, which I don't, you know, I don't really relate to, but, but I do love the sort of just the personalities and the, and the, um, the drive. I mean, everybody's very passionate and that's how they get in these arguments. And, and I mean, I've been watching for, for the Twitter updates on the heads up thing between um, Matt and Nick the whole time. Like when they're playing, I'm refreshing my Twitter constantly. <laughs> Because I think that, I mean, I would love to have better updates like, you know, streaming or at least like a reporter in the room giving you um, real-time updates. But it's also very exciting to wait for the, for the break and then, and then see both sides, how they characterize the, the, the couple of hands that they describe. Um, all of that's, it's very exciting to me. I, you know, I love poker. So... So although I don't really care about, you know, who's, who's more of a man, I do care about just like play, you know, watching them play and watching them make decisions. And, and the more that they do that, the happier I am. Yeah. And do you, are you rooting for anyone in particular or do you just like what, seeing what's going to happen? I just want to see, I just want to watch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of people are. I I want I want it to be the person who, um, who is making the better decisions. You know, who's like really thinking it through. So I mean, obviously that's that's Matt who's who's trying to make better decisions. But you know, Nick, aside from you know one big loss, and it was maybe only a couple of hours worth, right? Aside from that, he's really, um, um, you know, kept kept even essentially with with Matt and that's pretty remarkable um for a kind of a volatile player he really I think he um he calmed down and he got more serious after the first couple of sessions and it showed um so like I just love that I, I I'm, I'm rooting for both of them to to just excel <laughs> yeah I, I like that <laughs> Now, the Hustler Million Dollar Game is coming up. It's really exciting. I think so far they're going to have three days. Nick did mention they may add a fourth day, but that is not confirmed yet. And they may have uh, players playing on multiple days. I know they announced at least a partial lineup. Uh, what are your thoughts around this and how excited are you? Because I know, I know you must be excited. Everyone is. But what's your take on it? I am so excited. And how great that they're making it like three plus days. You know, how, this is a great example. How could you have ever thought that you would have more than a table willing to play a, a minimum million dollar buy-in game, you know, on stream? And so many more that you need to have three days and possibly out another day. God, I, it's so great. It's just... um you know, like when somebody like like Nick Airball just buys in for a million or whatever and covers the table, it doesn't really matter that much because really, you know, what matters is what the 
rest of the stacks are. The the smallest stack is the one, yeah. you know, that really matters, right? Like 25K or something sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or whatever it is. It was still a lot for that person possibly, but yeah, in yeah. comparison to what he's buying, it just doesn't matter. Yeah. So all of that. So, so to have a million dollars to be in play um, the whole time is going to be remarkable. Now, um, I think somebody, I think Berkey was saying, it might have been Berkey, was saying like, people are going to play a lot more conservatively than we think they are, which I, I think is what's going to happen, at, especially at first. People are not going to want to, you know, mm. do any crazy bluffs for, you know, 200K when there's another, you know, million and a half that they could possibly lose too. So we might see like less action. That kind of might favor saying. Nick Airball, actually, if people are really tightening up and then he can run some of the bluffs and some of the plays that he likes to make. Because he did say on, I can't remember which show or which podcast now, but he did, or which spaces, but he did say that he is going to cover the table. Um, and then someone asked him, if he was going, what if someone buys 2 million or something? He said he's he's going to cover that. He said he's just going to cover no matter what. So we'll see we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. When you have some, I guess I would say him, Eric Person is, you know, kind of in the same vein where he really wants to be aggressive financially, like financially, like the two of them. And, and there's others like Blank Check Ben, you know, who are, are very willing to put a lot of money towards something, you know, towards a hand, you know, um, that will be interesting because you're right. Cause you know, the other players have to, you know, like, it, it's like basically most hands are now bluff catchers in that situation, you know, like uh, on the stream yesterday, um, I think Doug ended up folding a set on the river where there was only one, you know, way that, that a straight could be made, although there were bigger sets, you know, but because it was just such a big bet, that set was just a bluff catcher. And so these guys are going to have to decide if they're going to, you know, put all that money on the line just to, just to try to catch somebody bluffing. Yeah. And sometimes I think about, Putting going all in with something like an ace king or even jacks queens, um, maybe even kings, those type of situations where, okay, you know, if you have ace king, ace queen, ace jack, they've they've got pocket tens. What though that type of situation, eights, nines, tens, where you're basically flipping, right? It's it's a coin flip. Um, and do you really want to flip for your for your for a million dollar stack or something like that? <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah, and, no, and, I think you know, a lot of us do not want to, no. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of players would say, well, you know, if you have ace king suited, you should be playing that super aggressively and don't be afraid to get it all in. Um, you know, it's one of those situations where it's just, it's so hard to know. I, I, maybe, maybe other someone could come on and say, well, here's how you know what they're pl playing type of thing, but right, it's like, okay, if you have ace jack. They, they've got tens, you're flipping. You know, if you have ace, ace jack, ace queen, you could be up against ace king and you're dominated, right? Or or jacks versus uh, kings or queens dominated, right? So it's one of those things too where it's like, 
you could be you could be really dominating someone or you could be uh, they could be dominating you or you're flipping but it's you know two out of the three of those scenarios you're, <laughs> you're yeah. giving it in not not very good and, you, and 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 then there's and then there's that case where someone sucks out at you right which i guess you shouldn't think about because you want to get the money in good but when you're that deep wow it's that 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 comes into factor for some people too mhm yeah i've um i've folded i just recently on the stream not recently on the stream i folded jack's um pre-flop because the action was just crazy and the and then the two players who got all in had ace king and ace queen and you know so i mean they could that happen again they could have easily had kings or queens right so it's it's one of those things where you made a decision it turned out to be the wrong one but in a in a in a parallel universe or another game down the road you, that's going to be a great fold uh, it, yeah. it's funny because i i had a similar situation just real quick antidote uh guy shoves um i was another guy called i believe and then i would it was me to go all in i had a pretty i was 5 5 10 game i had a pretty deep stack a couple of buy-ins and I folded ended up the guy was shoved with king queen suited and then the other guy was I forget he was just completely gambling at like 10 7 <laughs> off suit and my hand would have held up for like a huge huge pot I was like what am I doing I'm a terrible player and then and then just the other day I I a guy three bet me I I was like I, I thought it was I was like this is ace king ace queen ace jack type of thing I shove and then he flips over aces against my jacks <laughs> and, then, and I'm like oh man I was I played that terribly so it's those type of situations that yeah it, it, it happens so yeah and I'm, I'm kind of like a product of, of the last hand I played too so so like just just the other night actually I had jacks again and um and the action was crazy, but I but I got it all in. And then I was up against two ace kings, and and I, well, actually we ran it twice, and and I got the second one. <laughs> so it was the Ooh. right it was the right all in. But that was based on my experience from before, from folding those jacks before. But now if I'd lost that one fully, then probably next time I'm folding the jacks again. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and obviously it's not rational. It's survivor or not survivorship bias, recency bias, and all yeah. these. I mean, and yeah. you're as being a lawyer. I mean, it was fascinating for me just to learn to study like basic law courses when I was growing up, and learning about all the fallacies, and and that was just so interesting to me. Um, I feel like some of those definitely relate to poker, right? Oh yeah. So so well. There's all kinds of like fallacies in terms of the gamblers. I think it's the gambler's fallacy. That's a huge one. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, recency bias or, or confirmation bias. Those are so important to think about just like um, the, or the, or the, the thing that stand, you know, the, the, I guess it's confirmation bias, but it's where um, we, when we lose in a bad way, we remember it a lot more than when we win in either a bad way or a good way. So yeah. like, you know, if I have Kings and I get it all in against ace King, like it feels like 60% of the time they're going to hit an ace, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
you know? Yeah. And you, but they don't. and you mentioned running it twice. Do you usually like to run it twice? And do you, do you run it twice in the home games as well? I know they do it on stream, but. I go back and forth on that too. The reason is that um, um, in my, in these games, especially in my home games, um, people will use running it twice as a good reason to just um, get it in and gamble because they think maybe, well, at least maybe I'll get one of the two runouts. Um, That would be great if I'm, if I'm just putting them to the test with premium hands, but I'm often, you know, I don't have premium hands a lot, you know, sometimes I'm all in with, with a bluff. And then I don't want them thinking, Oh, well, you know, we'll run it twice. So um, Mm, I'll probably get this much money back. And then I don't really risk that much. So it, yeah, it goes back and forth. I, I mean, on the other hand, I like, I like running it twice because, you know, um, you both have, like, we have a cooler, you know, and we have ace king against jacks. Like, I'd rather run that twice. Um, yeah. And to be clear for listeners, it doesn't change your expected value, but it does reduce variance. So when you have a huge pot, then it's, you're going to smooth out your variance a little more. And Charlie Wilmoth, who I had on the podcast, explained this in his podcast and Bart Hansen has talked about it, but um, it's one of those things where sometimes players are a little bit confused. And as you mentioned, they, they, the thinking is, well, I'll run it twice because then they, they have extra outs or something like that. They feel like it's, they're going to have a, not an edge, but um, it, so yeah, it, it's a tricky thing. Um, it, most yeah, players... your expected value doesn't change, right? It's, it, it is. It just reduces variance over time. But but your opponent's actions can change based on whether they're um, expecting Definitely. to run it twice or not. And Definitely. it might be in a way that you don't want it to change. Yeah, that's a really good point. I haven't really heard too many people voice that opinion, which really makes a lot of sense, especially if you're running a bluff, then you don't want them to think, I'll, I'll call since we're going to run, since I'm going to run it twice type of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, and it definitely happens. And then, and I understand why they would think that too. So I, I probably used to think that uh, before I learned from Charlie Bard and people much smarter than me about the game. Um, so just going quickly back to the million dollar game, let's say there's a, a scenario where I'm not saying this is reality right now, but let's say there's a scenario where you could get into the game and maybe you buy in for whatever you buy you're comfortable with 20 K or 50 K or whatever, whatever that number is. And then you sell the rest of the action. How would you feel in playing in a game like that? Uh, would you do it? And the reason I'm asking is just because I think it's interesting. You want to stake me, Ryan? I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. I think, I, it's, I think it's interesting to explore of it, playing with that much money on the line. Uh, is your play affected and are you worried about the backers and just those different things? So, Well, um, I've had backers, you know, just like whatever. I've sold a little bit of action. Mm-hmm. Um, Was that playing and, on stream? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, before in tournaments too. You okay. know, like yeah. I, it's it's better it's good to do it i think on stream because it's right there it's visible it, the, the, your, your backer can see exactly what happens with their money and same with tournaments you know um you know the out the outcome is published so 
it's good, I think, to be able to to sell action for, for those. Um, I get, well, I hate the thought of losing somebody else's money far more than I hate the thought of losing my own money. It just, it makes me very stressed to think about that. However, um, going back to my lack of discipline, um, that doesn't mean I play any differently. Like if I were to sit in that game with only, you know, 20,000 at risk, that would, that would be a dream. And I don't think I would play any differently um, because although I would, I would want to protect the investor's money and um, my, and there would be kind of this idea that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be um, irresponsible with it. I will not be irresponsible. Whereas with my own money, I'll be irresponsible sometimes, you know? Um, but the outcome is in the, in the moment, um, I would hope that I would just make the best decision that I could right then. And I think that I tend to do that no matter, no matter whether, you know, everything's at stake or whether other people's money is at stake or not with me. I, I kind of do that because, um, cause I don't have, like, I don't, I, I don't have that shut down because I'm scared mode. I, I want to, I, I, there's times when I should just shut down, you know, and I should be scared, but, um, but I don't tend to have that setting as much as I would like to. <laughs> so because of that, I mean, I would basically play like it was my million and I'd be comfortable with it. Yeah, I like that answer. I think it's fun when you're playing on stream too and you sell a little bit of action. Um, I've known people who will sell a little bit and it's fun just sweating them on stream and, and being able to kind of join in to the fun, even though you you yourself can't play. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I remember this this uh, friend of mine um, had like, 20% of my of my buy-in or my action one time on um, I think it was like my first or second Max Payne Monday and there was this giant pot where um, there was like five way all in pre-flop I wasn't all the way all in but I had queens like I couldn't re-raise and so so at least several people were already all in queen on the flop and an ace also and so um uh, and then more action. And then I think it was that DQ guy. So me and DQ, then we get it all in, you know, and I have the, the set of Queens and my friend who had had a piece of me, who was saying he's out, he was out in his backyard by the pool watching, you know, on the big screen. And he like screamed, you woke up the whole neighborhood when I got that set of Queens. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is fun. <laughs> that is great. I wanted to ask you as well, since we're talking about streams and big hands, most people listening is, have probably seen this, the hand that Mariana won with aces versus kings and kings. What was going through your mind when you saw that hand? You know, uh, did you see that one a few years ago? I think it was when Johnson won the the main event. Um, and right before the final table, they had that they had a hand like that, aces versus kings versus kings. And and the guy with the the king the the kings who was like last to act in the you know in a all in re raise all in you know whatever pot was like well I have kings I can't fold mm -hmm. and he could have folded that's what I thought I mean it was televised and I thought he could have folded that and I also thought maybe it's because we can see the cards but I also thought that um um in that in the one you're talking about aces versus kings versus kings the action was such that you you could fold kings and like that one at the lodge where doug folded kings 
he could fold that too. I thought that, I mean, there's times to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Someone was saying that Doug's spot was probably one of the easiest spots to fold Kings they've ever seen in their life, which I thought was just kind of a funny comment on the hustler stream. I I also felt maybe the second guy probably could have gotten away from it. You know, with that said, um, you're in the moment and it's one of those things it's, it's really difficult to do. Um, but I, I I can see a path definitely for that second guy with Kings uh, to get there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't but, think it's particularly hard, honestly. If it's six mm-hmm. bet to you, mm-hmm. and there's no way that they have anything except aces, mm-hmm. you can fold Kings. Yeah. And and that's what a question I wanted to ask everyone at the end of the show is: Have you ever folded Kings pre-flop in a cash game? Yes. Yeah, it's funny. I think I've I think I've folded them probably three times, and and I'm like even because because okay. I think one time one time I was positive this this guy it's like he four bet me he never four bet whatever I just knew right so I folded the kings and he showed kings so <laughs> oh boy <laughs> but that was the minimum there was no way it was we anything could have always lost to a flush <laughs> yeah no I've but seen it was that, still but, yeah. i mean considering that it was kings that's still the right fold because yeah. you'll you know that that's the that's his bottom that was the stone bottom of his range yeah um so that was good and then the other two times i think were were both against um a, another player who's generally he's very wild but when he really gets aggressive, you know, he's got it. Um, so I folded the, I folded Kings to him and he had aces. And then I folded Kings another time to him and he had ace king. So mm. I guess I'm even here for, for whether it's been the right thing to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think sometimes some players you just know that they have aces, as you mentioned, just by the style that they play. And then when they do it, a three better, four better, whatever the case is, you just, you know, they have it. I think other players will play aces the same way they would play, you know, jacks all the way up and then even ace king, ace queen suited, those type of hands. So uh, that's where we talked about earlier, varying your play and, and being balanced in the range and all these super geeky poker terms and things <laughs> that is going to basically you know, to, to help guard against that. Right. So, um, sometimes, right. sometimes if, it's just too exciting. Can, Sorry. Go ahead. I'm saying that's, if we vary our play, we guard against people being able to fold to our, to our, you know, very strong all ins or whatever, but that doesn't mean they will like, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people don't learn. I don't learn from no matter how many hands I see you know, people show down, I don't seem to learn whether they're balanced or not. Like, especially if I have a hand that like, I think that I think is good, like Queens, like, I'm not like, I'll be like, I'm not folding this to these guys. And then, you know, the the action goes in a way that um, they just, they just only have strong hands. Well, I mean, it's only, uh, I guess I'm going to give myself 50 50, whether I can really believe myself or not. Like people say, you know, you got to trust your gut. My gut always tells me that that I'm good. So I can't trust my gut. <laughs> I, yeah. have to, I have to really reason it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 
I can definitely relate to that. So Julie, this has been a really fun conversation. I think we covered a lot of ground. Was there anything else we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about either poker or anything else? No, I don't think so. This was really great. Thank you, Ryan. Was this fun? Uh, we definitely, everyone is excited to see you back on stream whenever that's going to be. So maybe once you get a few more under your belt, we'll have you back and chat about how that went. But best of luck on stream and have fun watching the Million Dollar Game coming up soon. Okay. And you know what? In order to get back on stream, I should say, please follow me on Twitter at Julia in Palmdale. Then I could get that following that I need. Perfect. We'll link it in the show notes and try to re retweet and get the spread the word out there. And um, yeah, I've seen you on Twitter. You're in the mix. So um, best of luck when you finally do get back on stream. And playing in that 5-5-10 game is, is definitely going to help go a long way to get there too. I will probably be seeing you there very soon, Ryan. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, leave a quick review on iTunes with some feedback and give a five-star rating. You can find us on Twitter at PlayingHSPoker. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.